Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Habakkuk chapter 2, if you will. Habakkuk chapter 2, and read this in the New King James. We have dedicated this month to discuss vision. You know, God has such a great vision for your life, a calling on your life, a purpose on your life. You need to know that. And our church has made it our call and our mission that you don't leave without knowing that God has a purpose for you. There's no accidents in the kingdom of God. And even what life can throw at us and even the the things that we can endure and and go through, I believe that God uh, has ordained and set your steps in motion. The Bible tells us that the steps of a righteous man, they are ordered of the Lord. And so you are not somewhere in your life that God didn't know you would be. You're not somewhere in your life that God doesn't have a solution or an answer for. And so I don't care how dark it is, how bleak it may seem, what's on the news, what's on the media, uh, what the, the prognosis is or what they believe is going to happen. God has another plan, amen? God has another outcome. God has solutions for problems you haven't even entered into yet. And so we need to keep our trust and our hope in him. And that comes by gaining the vision that he has for our lives. We've said this before that sight is a matter of the eyes, but vision is a matter of the heart. Sight is a matter of your natural eyes. It's what you see, uh, you know, with your physical eyes. But vision is something that God gives us in our heart, which means God is not giving you a vision and subjecting it to your natural or your external circumstance. He doesn't check with your, uh, your, your, your promotion, your position, your education level, your background, your history, where you grew up, how, many, how much money you make, what your influence. He doesn't check with all those things to, de- to determine what your purpose or what the vision for your life looks like. He gives you a purpose and a vision before you even show up in this world. I know we all end up in scenarios that seem contradictory to what we're currently going through. And God gives you a vision. God gives you a plan for your life that seems like there's no way this could take place. Look at the people God called in the Bible. They were called not according to who they were or what they had proven, but disregarding, contradictory even, to who they were and what they were proven. It's interesting when you look at the word of God and you determine the candidates that he feels are qualified to live out the vision that he has for their lives. And so he has a a vision, a plan, a purpose. And in Habakkuk chapter two, verse two, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. I'll read that again, verse two. Write the vision and make it plain. Make it plain that he who runs, or that he may run who reads it. 
Notice that the vision is designed to be run with. I'll say that again. That if the, the vision is designed to be run with, not just held on to. Oh, I know, this is God's vision, and, uh, you know, it's going to come to pass one day. You notice that there's effort and participation on your part to see God's vision come to pass in your life. It's so many times that we remove ourselves from the equation as if God is in heaven just making all this stuff happen, piecing all this stuff together, regardless of whether we want it to happen or not. But the people that see the vision of God accomplished in their life are the ones that apply themselves to it and participate and show effort with what God is trying to do in their lives. That means that God has given vision to every person, given a purpose to every person on this planet, but only those that subject themselves to it and run alongside it will see it accomplished and come to pass. That means I can resist it. That means I can reject it. You know, a lot of us, we don't reject the vision. We resist the plan. We don't reject the vision. Whoa, man, we, man, that's awesome. God's got a great plan for my life. Man, I know, I know he's got good things for me. I, I, he's shown me this, and he wants to do this, and I'm going to become this. But then we resist the plan of how God wants to accomplish it in our lives. Vision is the end goal. Vision is the end of a thing. Vision is what it looks like in its completed form. And the reason why God does this is because God is always motivated by faith. God is always motivated not by what you're capable of doing, not by what you have proven you've been able to do, not by your history, not by your your life's circumstances. God is only motivated by one thing, by faith. So what does he do? He shows you a vision when you don't believe it's possible. He shows you a vision when you don't think this could be possible. He shows you a vision that requires faith. The Bible tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. If your vision is within your limitations today, within your boundaries today, within your comfort today, it's not a vision from God. Yeah, I get some chuckles on that one. Because look, we all can take God's vision for us and reduce it down to our abilities. We can all take God's vision and then we can be like Abraham, 75 years old, can't have children, beyond the years of having children. Out of the equation, naturally. And over time, you know, time is a funny thing. Time is a funny thing. Because time is what really proves where we're at. It's one thing to be joyful and excited when you first get the vision. It's another thing to be 15 years down the road and say, well, I don't know. Maybe I missed God. Maybe I wasn't hearing right. Maybe he missed it. Maybe he blew it. Or maybe, like Abraham, he needs my help. No, he needs your obedience not your assistance. He needs your obedience to follow his plan, to follow his steps that he lays in line. What does Abraham do? Abraham decides to go out and, uh, you know, maybe I'm gonna have a child with another woman. Sarah, my wife, she's the one that's broken. She's the one that's unable to have children. 
my stuff is good, so I'm going to go and sleep with one of my servants and have a child that way. And what did God say? I don't need your help with the plan. I've got the plan. Just follow what I tell you to do. That command didn't come from God. That part of the the plan wasn't part of God's equation. That was not part of what God said to do. That was Abraham going out on his own natural resources. That wasn't obedience. That was stepping in and trying to do for God what he said he would do. So you can't do God's part to accomplish the vision in your life, but you can do your part. You know, that's one of the biggest things is when it comes to vision, because see, the, the... The opposite of faith is not doubt. Let's just clarify this. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. What's the opposite of faith? Oh, it's fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith over fear. The opposite of faith is doubt. If faith is believing, then doubt's unbelieving. No, faith is believing in what you can't see. The opposite of faith is sight. It's what I can see. And what you can see will always compromise what you can't see. What you, when you live based upon what you can see, the Bible tells us we do not live, we do not walk by sight. We walk by what? Faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. Sight produces doubt. What I see causes me to doubt in what I cannot see. What I see will cause me to doubt what God said. Because God's only speaking to what is not yet possible, what has not yet happened, what has not yet taken place. God never speaks to your past, and God never speaks to your present. Isn't that funny that those are the two things we always bring up to him? I'm reminded of Moses at the burning bush. I mean, there's multiple accounts in the word of God of what we're talking about right now. Moses is encountering a burning bush that does not burn. It's engulfed in flames, but yet it's not consumed. It's not being burned. And God is telling him about what? His future. What you're going to do. What you have yet to do. You're going to go in to Egypt. You're going to approach the most powerful man in the modern world at that time. You're going to confront him and you're going to say, let my people go. And he's going to resist you and he's going to reject you. And I'm going to bring plagues and I'm going to prove myself faithful and prove myself strong. And he will have to let them go and you will lead them out. And what does Moses respond with? His past and his present. He responds with what I have done. And he responds with reasons why I can't do what you're telling me to do right now. Almost to the point that God gets upset with him. It's angry with him. I mean, you don't want to mess with a God that's burning up a bush that ain't burning. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what else you need to see at that point. I'm just going to take whatever you are saying. I'm going with that. But Moses decides to push back and push back and push back and comes up with every excuse in the book why he is the wrong man. You got the wrong bush. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong address. You got the wrong person. I am not the one to fulfill that vision. We don't have a problem with the vision. We have a problem with the plan. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to take place. Let me show this to you in verse 3. 
Verse two says, the Lord answer me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Verse three, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. That means it's not gonna match what it looks like right now. I'm not consulting my circumstance to determine if God has the right person. You better just just lay that on the ground. Create that, let that be your foundation. Start with that baseline. It's not gonna match my current situation. It's faith. It's gonna demand something of me to believe in what I cannot see. So the first thing we do is we start looking around for indicators that God's got the right person. And you will find none. Because the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. At the end. What's he saying? It'll only make sense when we've arrived. It's only going to make sense naturally when we get to our end goal. And then you'll look back and say, this is what God was doing all along. The vision is for a point in time. The vision is for the end. And in the end, it will speak. In the end, it will make sense. In the end. But along the way, he's making it very clear. It's not going to align. It's not going to match. It won't make sense. But this is what he says to do. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It will come to pass. You have to, he's giving us this assurance because the steps along the way don't look like they match the end goal. Something's not aligning here. You're always going to have something contrary to the vision of God show up in your life. And you're going to have to reconcile the fact that my circumstance is not an indicator of God's vision and purpose for my life. You have to establish this. That has to be your baseline. I want to show this to you in the new living. The new living. Starting with verse two. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. The vision should not be confusing. It should be plain. It should be simple. It should be constructed well. It should be deliberate. It should be intentional. God has, God wants to get specific with you. I said, God wants to get specific with you. God wants to get into the details. God wants it all to come together. God wants it to be plain. So there's no doubt this is what God is calling you to do. You have to eradicate doubt. You have to eradicate what seems like is attacking your faith. You have to remain in faith. He says, write my answer plainly so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Verse three, this vision is for a future time. I'm telling you right now, it's not vision if it's happening right now. It's not vision if it's going on right now. Faith is never invested in what is happening. Faith is invested in what will happen, what has yet to happen. I don't need to have faith for a car that I'm driving today. The second that you achieve or you accomplish what God has called you to do, he's already moved on to the next thing. He's no longer in that thing anymore. 
He's already moved into the next project. He's already moved into the next issue. He's already moved into the next problem. He's already moved into the next thing that demands you and God's vision for your life. He's already a step ahead of you. It's for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, anybody ever gotten a vision that seemed slow in coming? Come on, you can show those hands. You're still, you're still waiting. You're still pushing. You're still pressing. Abraham waited 25 years from the day he was promised uh, that he would be a father of many nations just to get one child. 25 years. 25 years he waited for that promise to come to pass. If it seems slow in coming, what's the answer? Wait patiently. Because it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Vision comes in pieces. Vision comes in waves. You might get the end goal. You might see the end picture. But how it's played out takes time. You know why? Because you're not ready for the vision when you get it. Imagine if a woman conceived, or imagine if a woman gave birth the day they conceived. We got a problem. We don't have furniture. We don't have room. We don't have paint. We don't have clothes. We don't have wipes. We don't have diapers. I mean, my wife and I just found this out recently because we thought we had till August 2nd to have a baby. Well, come May, let's see, my birthday was on the 27th, the 30th. We're going in. We're a little early. We're a little ahead of the, ahead of the schedule here, ahead of the game. Uh, and the problem was, I had just started some major renovations in our house. Major. Not ready for a baby. I mean, we kicked Camden out. That's how disruptive it was. We had to send him down to his grandparents. We sure weren't ready for a brand new baby coming up in that house. We tore up all the floors. We were painting every wall in the house. I had pulled out almost every uh, light fixture and light switch and, and receptacle. I mean, I was doing major stuff thinking that we had 60 days, at least 30 days. I mean, they told us that probably around July 1st was when we were really going to start engaging and having some challenges because we've, my, my wife's always had challenges with pregnancy. Camden was born at 27 weeks. He was born three months early. And Austin hung out another month. But throughout this process, we, we are not ready. We weren't ready at 28 weeks, much less being able to get all the way there. When you, are, when you become pregnant with the thing, you're not ready for the thing. Pregnancy is the development. We got a lot of pregnant people in here. Today, you guys better, you, you ladies better watch the water you're drinking. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know of five at least that are pregnant in our church right now. We've already given birth to I don't know how many this year. We've got twins, like, we multiply them around here. You think Corona's the issue? We got other, 
We got some other stuff that apparently is just catching wildfire. All the, all the ladies that are not wanting to get pregnant are like, and you ready yet? You ready? Yeah, y'all ready. She's having twins. Emily, you just having one this time, right? Yeah, that, that we know, of. okay, because she's already got twins. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. We got them. Kristen over here, got Allie over there. I mean, we just, we got them. The pregnancy is the developmental stage, development for the baby itself. But guess who else is developing? You are. Man, when you get pregnant with vision, it's exciting. When you become pregnant with something, you're naming it. You're preparing for it. You're building for it. You're anticipating it. You know, in pregnancy, they only, they only get you, give you certain details. And you learn things as you go along. You don't know the sex of the baby immediately, but you find that out over time. But you know what a sonogram or an ultrasound can't tell you? It can't tell you what they're going to do with their life. It can't tell you the gifts and the talents and the abilities that are going to be inside that child. It can't tell you the influence and the impact they're going to make on the world they're about to come into. There's still things, even after you give birth to it, that is still progressive. It comes in pieces. Why? Because you're not ready. You're not ready for a teenager when you give birth to an infant. Come on. I got any new teenage dads? You're laughing a little loud over here. The teenage daughter next to you is like, excuse me, you are embarrassing me. When she was about 10 years ago, she would have been like, oh, daddy, I love you. And now it's like, oh, that's my dad. Oh, no. It comes in waves, doesn't it? Comes over time. Jada came in all dressed up like a, I was like, what in the world? She's talking about her outfit, talking about her shoes. And I'm like, where's the little Jada that used to play with Camden and like was, you know, putting Legos together? I mean, it's just incredible how it happens. Why? It happens in stages. It happens as a process because you're not ready. Why is it slow in coming? Because you're not, you couldn't handle it. The Israelites, before they came, they came out of Egypt because just because you come out of something doesn't mean you're ready to go into something. They came out of Egypt, and God wants to give them a glimpse of what they're coming into. Numbers chapter 13, God wants to give them a glimpse. Moses, send 12 spies into the land that I have given you. It's yours. That's vision. But you know how they were going to take that land? Not all at once. Little by little, piece by piece, town by town, city by city, battle after battle, fight after fight. It's a process. We usually don't abandon God's plan or God's purpose because of the vision, but because of the plan because of the process, because of the work, because of what it takes to stick it out, to see the plan come to pass. They get there, they send 12 spies. They weren't sending 12 spies to get a report. They were sending 12 spies with a report. When God shows you your vision for your life, he doesn't need your input. He doesn't need you to agree with it. He doesn't need you to think, oh, I can do that. I can accomplish that. 
He's giving you a vision. You have a report going in. I will accomplish this. I will see this through. I will make this happen. I will be influential. I will make that promotion. I will start that business. I will lead this family. He gives you the vision before you're able. When it looks like it's too big, 10 spies come back with a what? An evil report, the Bible says, a bad report. Two of them come back, Joshua and Caleb, and they say what? We are well able to take the land. I didn't see anything in there that tells me we can't do this. I don't care how big. I don't care how mighty. I don't care how strong. I don't care how great. I don't care how many. We can do this. But two out of 12, that's the minority. And we typically go with the majority, don't we? We typically go with the loudest voices. We typically go with the ones making all the commotion. We typically go with the ones where we get more in agreement. You know, righteousness will stand all by itself. You might be the only one believing in the vision God's given you. You might be the only one that sees what God says. And Joshua Joshua and Caleb said, I don't care what we see, we know what God said. And they had to circle the wilderness for 40 years just like everybody else, even though they believed. Sometimes I wonder, what is our doubt and unbelief compromising for someone else? It's not just about us. When we walk in doubt and unbelief and we don't want to stand to the vision that God has called us and pursue the vision that God has called us to, you're not the only one affected. It's affecting other people. You haven't started that business yet, it's affecting every person you're supposed to be impacting. You haven't gotten your life in line right yet, you're affecting the people you're supposed to make influence on. You haven't gotten this, you haven't done that, you haven't started this. God's vision, it's not up to you to say, well, it's too hard, too difficult, I don't feel like doing it. Because you know what God will do? He'll find someone else. He will get the vision accomplished. He's wanting you to be a part of it, and he's giving you grace and mercy to get in alignment with his plan. But if you don't, he'll find somebody else to do it. Because he will not allow his plan to go interrupted. So you might as well just get in line. You might as well just get get in line with his word and say, that's what he said, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it seems too big, I'm going to agree with what God says. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, back to where we've been the last several weeks, talking specifically about the purpose and the vision of the church. God's purpose and vision for the house of God. We've talked about what the church is supposed to be doing in these last days. And if this year is any, any, any indicator that the world needs the church more than ever. You wait to see what happens with the world after the church is raptured. You think it's bad now. Wait, you you don't even know what the church is pushing back and holding back in this world right now. We are holding back darkness. 
We're holding back spirits. We're holding back forces. You have no idea what you, as the church of the living God, are keeping this world from. But the worst thing on the planet would be a church that's in the earth with the power and the ability to hold back darkness, and we don't because we don't know who we are. We don't have God's vision and God's plan for, the, for his house and for his people. So we gotta know who we are. I can't say it with any more severity. I can't say it with any more seriousness that the church has to know who they are. We have to know what we're called to do. And we've seen this in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 17. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So we see that Jesus has taken personal responsibility for building his church. He has not delegated that to anybody. I'm not building the church. I'm serving in the church, working in line, and working with the manufacturer, the creator. This is his plan. So we don't get to redefine what church is or what church is supposed to be doing or what church looks like. We don't get to do that. We don't get to redefine, re-identify. No, we have to discover what he says we would do. On this rock, I will build my church. And the first thing he mentions is authority. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it meaning the church is not in a defensive posture. We are in an offensive posture. The church is pushing back darkness and tearing down darkness and tearing down wickedness and tearing down the gates of hell. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Not putting up gates and trying to keep the enemy out. He's trying to keep you out. He's more afraid of you than you are of him. Let's put it that way. And so what does the enemy do? He tries to keep you from knowing who you are. You know, there's churches all over this world that are operating that he doesn't care about at all because they're not a, they're not a, a problem for him. They're not an issue for him. They're not a challenge for him. I want to be a part of the church that is tearing down the gates of hell. I want to be a part of the church that the enemy wakes up terrified of. Every morning he wakes up saying, I hope Anchor Faith Church doesn't have it together today. I hope they don't figure this out. I hope they don't realize this. I hope they don't talk about this. And the Bible says that when the word is ministered, when the word is spoken like we're ministering right now, he's coming to snatch that word. Because the word that you leave sitting on the surface, he can come pick up. But if this word will get buried in your heart, if this word will get buried in your spirit, he doesn't have access to it. He can't get to it. But he's looking for a word to pick up. After this service, as you go out to the restaurants and go home and you go about your day, he's looking for things that you're leaving on the side. He's looking for the stuff that doesn't take root real well. He's looking for the stuff that doesn't go down real deep. 
He's looking for the stuff that you don't meditate on and you don't reread and you don't dig back in this thing. If you just opened your Bible this morning for the first time since last Sunday, he just snatched up everything I gave you last Sunday. Come on now. It's not producing in your life. You came and you heard a good message and you got to be a part of a good word and a good service. But at the end of the day, it didn't take root, therefore it can't bear fruit. Fruit is only the result of root. No root, no fruit. No root, no fruit. And the root doesn't happen by itself. It happens because you get engaged and you say, I'm going to reread those scriptures. I'm going to listen to that message again. I'm going to make sure that word gets down into my, I'm going to become a studier of the word so I can become a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Hearers only are deceived. Why are they deceived? Because they think they got something when they didn't get anything. The deception is, I did my part, but this is just the starting point. He doesn't want you to hear that the church is supposed to be tearing down the gates of hell. He wants you to think that church is singing three songs, listening to four points, and, you know, giving some money and going on your way. That's what he wants you to think church is about. That's what he, that's what he, he's okay with that. As long as you don't get the reality of what we're trying to do. The church is not an event. The church is not an organization. The church is a people. The church is a people that are daily utilizing heaven to tear down hell. That's what the church is. You are in the earth to tear down the gates of hell. And everywhere there's a gate, they should be destroyed when you come into contact. They should be torn down when you show up on the scene. Not Jesus. Not praying that God will do it. You do it. You get off your hands. You get off your tail. And you go and you activate the kingdom. And you declare the kingdom. And you walk in the authority of the kingdom that he's given you. He's placed you in rightful position. Not so we can sit here and cry about what's happening in our world. But we can change what's happening in our world by doing something about it. There we go. Just push a little harder. It's coming. It's coming. You're awake. He says, you will tear down the gates of hell. It will not prevail. And then he says, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We've talked about this. The church is empowered and sent on the behalf of heaven to tear down the gates of hell. Now that's the vision. That's the, that's the end goal. Jesus is talking about this at a time where there is no church. Jesus is talking about this at a time where he hasn't even died on the cross yet. Nobody has confessed him as Lord and confessed him as Savior and confessed him and given him their life. No one, no one has made those steps yet. He's talking about something that is going to happen, not something that is happening. He's not looking around and saying, yep, there's my church that I'm building. No, he's saying, I will. And that church, those people, they're going to stand up and they're going to tear down hell all around them. They're going to destroy the works of the devil. He's talking about something that's 
in the future. He's talking about something that is for an appointed time. But now it seems slow. Now it seems like it's tarrying. Now it seems like we're having to wait for it. So watch what happens. Verse 21. We're not even that far. Right after he gives the vision, he submits the plan. Right after he gives the vision, this is what the end goal is going to look like. Here's the plan. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. But verse 22, remember, this is the same guy that just spoke prophetically by the Holy Spirit, revelation by the Father that said, what? This is, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Oh, Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. My Father in heaven told this to you. He revealed this to you. You didn't figure that out on your own. God had to give that to you. The same Peter that was listening to the Father God in accordance of who was Jesus, what was his identity. Watch this, verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not smart. Not, not, not a good move to rebuke Jesus. He began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, This shall not happen to you. Now, I know Peter sounds like a good friend. I know Peter sounds like a buddy. I know Peter sounds like someone that's invested in Jesus' life. And I didn't come all this way to watch you die. And I didn't come all this, I'm going to stand up for you. And it sounds like he's coming to Jesus' aid, to Jesus' assistance. But remember, we don't need assistance, we need obedience. Assistance is where I step in on my own ability in my own natural resources, but obedience is where I'm stepping in and participating with heaven. What are you saying? What are you doing? And you accept the plan. He loved the vision. That's the Messiah. That's the Son of God. And he's going to build his church upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell. Man, yeah, that's exciting vision. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, bring it. We want the keys to the kingdom. And whatever we bind on earth, it's going to be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth, it's going to be loose in heaven. Yes, that's the vision. But this is how it's going to happen. Whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. I got to go through all that to get to that? Far be it from you, Lord. We don't reject the vision, we resist the plan. He was all hyped up with the vision. Just didn't like the plan. You cannot fulfill God's purpose with your plan. You cannot fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose, God's plan. So now Jesus is starting to show them a little bit of how this is going to take place, what we have to endure, what we have to go through. And this is where we bow out. 
This is where we decide, I don't know if I want this so bad. This is where we say, I want the end goal, but I want it with as little investment as possible, with as little effort as possible, with as little striving on my part as possible with as little work on my part as possible. We're okay with I will build my church. We're okay with keys of kingdom and and binding and loosing. We're okay with that, but I don't like how I have to get it. I don't like what I have to go through to see that come to pass. And he rebukes Jesus. Lord, this shall not happen to you. I've asked this question before, but between Peter in Judas, Peter being one that stood up before Jesus and said, I'll make sure this never happens. And Judas being one that says, I'm gonna hand you over. Which one of those two helped advance Jesus's purpose? It was the enemy. It was the one that seemed like he was handing Jesus over, but actually he was only moving Jesus further towards the whole reason why he came to this planet. Maybe the ones that are siding along with you and the ones that are coming alongside saying, man, I'll go, I'll make sure that doesn't, I'll make sure, and are keeping things from happening in your life are not your friends, they're really your enemies. Are not the ones helping you accomplish what God has for you. They're keeping you from what God has for you. Maybe we're making friends with the wrong ones. Maybe we're siding with the enemy rather than siding with God's plan. Look at how Jesus puts it with Peter. This is what he says. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. He just got done earlier calling him rock. Peter, Petra. Petra actually means a formation of rocks that creates a solid foundation. He said, first your name was Simon, that's Petros. Petros is just one singular rock. But he says, what we're gonna do is we're gonna create a formation of rocks, the church, of a unifying group that will be be strong and sturdy and become the foundation upon which I will build my church. And four verses later, now he's being called Satan. That formation of rock, rather than being a stepping stone, became a stumbling block. And thank goodness Jesus didn't side with his buddy. Oh, man, Peter, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate you coming along. I really appreciate you standing for me. I mean, everybody else is rejecting me. Everybody else is calling me names. I mean, they want to kill me. But, man, thank you. I, I mean, thank you for all your help and your assistance. No, he looks at him in the eyes and says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. And this is why. Because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You are not thinking like God thinks. You're thinking like man thinks. Man wants to keep me from going through this. But God says going through this is how we're going to accomplish his vision, his purpose. It's not up to our plan. What did Jesus say in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. But you know what he said before that? If there's any other way, 
I mean, if you got another plan up there that might work out, now's the time to let me know. I'm about to go full throttle into this thing. I'm selling out to your vision. If you've got another way for this to happen, it's okay to have a desire or to, to, to try to see if there's another way. But at the end, you have to remain committed to God's way. Even Jesus said, I will not accept another plan unless it comes from you. I will not accept another agenda. I will not accept another way unless you're the one bringing it. I will not, I refuse to come up with my own way to do this. Not my will, but yours be done. And he goes on, verse 23. And he turned. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Verse 24, he goes on. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You know who I think he's really talking to? At the beginning of verse 24, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, I think he's talking to himself. I think he's reminding himself of his mission. He's reminding himself of whose purpose he's trying to fulfill, not his own not his friends, not his families, not those around him. He's reminding himself, what profit is it if I have my best friend come to me and say, I'm gonna make sure this never happens, and he comes to me out of friendship and comes to me out of desire to not see me suffer and not see me hurt and not see me killed. What profit is it that I gain a friend, but I lose a purpose? What profit is it to me that I can look Peter in the eye and say, man, thank you so much for standing with me. But compromise God's plan for my life. What profit? What have I gained? What's been added to my life? What increase do I have? What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange We make these exchanges all the time. We make these exchanges all the time. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. When does the reward come? The reward comes when I have submitted myself to his plan. The reward comes when I have forsaken all to go after him. When does the reward come? When I have denied myself, denied my agenda, denied my plans, denied what I wanted, denied my desires, denied my lust, denied what I wanted, and went after what God has for me. We don't typically reject the vision. We resist the plan. This is the thing, is we usually fall in love with the concept of commitment without knowing the commitment, the commitment that it takes. 
We understand, we want the concept of it, right? The concept is what I think it will look like. But commitment can't be conceptual. Commitment is reality. Commitment is what I say that I will do no matter what. That's what a commitment is. When you make a commitment, a commitment is not broken. A commitment is not severed. A commitment doesn't have uh, ulterior motives. A commitment doesn't have outs. Come on, we don't live in a world that really values commitment any longer. We don't live in a world that values I said this or I, I committed myself, so I'm not gonna, we'll look for any out possible. Any way to get out of it. But to follow Christ takes, it has a demand of commitment that's beyond just the concept of it. I'm not going after the concept. I'm going after the reality. Jesus says, I'm sold out to the vision. I will build my church. It will tear down the gates of hell. Whatever they bind and whatever they loose will be bound or loose. I'm sold out to the concept, but I'm also sold out to the commitment of what it takes to see it come to pass. And if that, if that means they hand me over, they beat me, they curse me, they kill me, I'm sold out to the plan as well as the purpose. I'm sold out to the end goal and whatever it takes to get there. Though it may tarry, I will wait patiently for it. That means I will stay invested. See, there, there are parts of following the vision of God for your life that are beyond your control, outside of your limits, beyond what you can do, but you always have something you can do. When you're waiting, I mean, the whole essence of patience means that there's a level of control I don't have. Come on. That's what patience means. Patience means I can't do anything else right now but wait. And guess what? You're still responsible for that. We always have a level of responsibility. What is responsibility? It's the ability to respond. Even when it seems like there's nothing I can do, even when it seems like it's bigger than me, what can you do? I can wait patiently. You know, you can wait impatiently. I do that usually at the checkout line when somebody's writing a check. They still do that. You know, they have these little plastic cards that swipe, pin, done. Why are you looking for the pennies at the bottom of your purse? Why? Or we're, you're holding everybody up because you want exact change. And just because you wait doesn't mean you wait patiently. Like my son used to say when they were learning the fruits of the Spirit, what is patience? Patience is waiting with a good attitude. I usually wait with a bad attitude. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Oh, I've waited. You know, and really when you think about I've waited, well, yeah, like you had any control over it. You were waiting. You had, there's nothing else you could do. Abandon the groceries, walk out the store. I mean, there's always something else you can do, but if you want to get the end result you want, you're going to have to 
wait. Now it's up to you if you wait with a good attitude or a bad attitude. That's on you. What does he say to do? If it seems like it's not coming, if it seems like it's tarrying, if it seems like it's taking too long, wait with a good attitude. Wait patiently. Jesus wasn't just waiting. He was waiting with a good attitude. And even when someone got in his face that seemed like he was his friend and coming along his side, he had a greater awareness to understand, you are going to compromise my purpose, not push me to my purpose. You've got to go. Get behind me. There's a lot of things in our lives we need to say, get behind me to. That means we're, leave, we're leaving them in front of us and they are moving us away from the vision God has for our lives. And you're compromising the end goal because you don't like the path he's put you on. Yeah, it's the path. It's the plan. I'm gonna give you three things about commitment real quick. Number one, Commitment always comes with the cost. Commitment always comes with the cost. What's it costing you? He said, deny yourself. Lose yourself. Deny, lay down. It's going to cost you something. The cost you're willing to pay always reveals the depth you're willing to go. The cost you're willing to pay always reveals the depth you're willing to go. And everyone has limits. Everyone has, I will only go up to this certain amount. But I can tell you right now, you can go further. You can do more. Everyone right now, stretch your hand. As high as you can. Now stretch it a little further. Why didn't you stretch that far the first time? Because everyone always has more you can do, more you can give, more you can put in, more you can lay down, more you can deny, more you can let go of. Look, we talked about this on Wednesday night. If you miss Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that a lot of times in our lives, we think that our being blessed by God or seeing God move in our lives is based upon what we gain, what we add, what we introduce, what we keep doing. And God is saying, it's, maybe it's not what you're adding, maybe it's what I'm asking you to deny. Maybe I'm not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to do less. I found that I can get people to do more, more often than I can to get them to do less. If I say, well, man, read your Bible or come to church this often or start doing this. I mean, you know, usually there might be some pushback, but there'll be some, yeah, I know. If, if, we, asked, if we asked ourselves, could I always be doing more? Sure. But what if God is asking you to do less? So usually when I have the conversation of you need to stop doing this, you need to let this go, you need to abandon this, you need to cut this off, that's where I get the greater pushback. In fact, we will mount up things in doing more so that we don't have to lay something down. We do it. I don't want to lay that down, but maybe I can make up for that by adding this. It's amazing. When if we would have just obeyed God in the first place and just laid down, we would have already seen 
movement in our lives. Commitment will always cost you something. Number two, commitment is a choice. It's not forced. Nobody's making you make the commitment. Nobody will make you. You know, a lot of times I think that we wait to really get committed until we have external pressure pushing us towards commitment. But if it takes external pressure to get you committed to something, things get bad enough so maybe now I'll get serious about this or, or you know, I'm not making enough money so I guess I'm really gonna start trying at work or whatever the case is. If you always wait on an external factor to push you towards commitment, you'll never be committed. I can tell you this, you won't stay committed because if an external factor gets you committed, then external factors will break your commitment. The second something doesn't go right externally, the second they don't treat me this way, the second they don't notice me, the second this doesn't happen, the second I don't see this, then all of a sudden you've lost all your motivation to remain committed to something. Commission is internal. Commitment is internal. It comes from the inside, not the outside. In fact, Jesus had external pressure to break the commitment. And the only reason he remained committed is because he was committed from the inside. He was committed before Peter showed up. He didn't need Peter to side with him to say, okay, now I'm committed. You don't, you don't decide commitment in the moment. You decide commitment before you need the commitment. And commitment is a choice. It's completely voluntary. Number three, commitment denies comfort. Commitment denies comfort. Oh, yeah. The length of your commitment will only last as long as your desire for comfort. If your desire for comfort outweighs your level of commitment, you can have commitment or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. Choose you this day. Do I want to be comfortable? Do I want to remain in a position of familiarity? Do I want to remain in a position that is agreeable? Or do I want to get committed to the plan of God? Nothing about Jesus' commitment was comfortable. Nothing about Jesus' commitment was desirable. Nothing about Jesus' commitment was something that anybody would wish to endure and go through. But yet he remained committed in spite of his comfort. Some of us, we only remain committed as long as we're comfortable. We only remain committed to the plan of God as long as it doesn't disrupt too much as long as I'm not too inconvenienced by anything. I'll tell you right now, God will inconvenience the mess out of you. He will have you talking to people you don't want to talk to, forgiving people you want to remain bitter at, working jobs for far less than you think you're worth, 
go in places, live in places, doing things you've never had any desire to do. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Commitment is, you can have one or the other, but you cannot have both. You cannot answer the call of God and remain comfortable. I didn't say comforted because the Holy Spirit will comfort you regardless of the situation you're in. But if comfort, you want to be cozy and cuddly and just remain in your little box and do your little thing and not be pushed past, you know, be beyond levels of comfort, then you stay right there. You'll never be committed to the call of God and you'll never produce what he's put inside of you. Nothing is produced inside of comfort zones. Only laziness complacency, a disregard for what God has called you to do. Worship team, if you'd come. Are we missing out on the vision because we're resisting the plan? Are we all jacked up, hopped up about the vision that God has for our lives, but the second he starts to reveal a little bit of the plan, now all of a sudden we get pushed back? Now all of a sudden we start to disregard? Now all of a sudden we start to say, no, can't go there, can't do that, won't do that, won't have that, won't lay that down? I'm talking to people today that God has given you a vision for your life. Whether that's being proven out today or not, how you wait when it tarries determines if you see it come to pass. Determines if you see it come to pass. I don't know about you, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. You know, vision always looks ahead. Vision gives you hope. Vision shows you the future. Vision shows you the answer in the midst of brokenness. Vision shows you the healing in the midst of sickness. Vision shows you what it could be rather than what it is. And if you're always looking at what it is, you'll never see what it could be. You'll never see what it's going to be if you'll put your faith and trust in Him. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.